We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode 21 of Lion Legacy. 21. Our podcast is uh, is able to drink here, Jared. What Penn State bar are we going to? I, I don't, you know, with like a walk down memory lane, right? You think of everyone had their bars that they went to. We used to hang out at the uh, at the cafe two ten quite a bit. I would do cafe. I remember those Long Island iced teas, and I yep. remember there was this. I can't remember the name, but there was like this like blue drink, this like light blue drink. Yeah, I, I don't know. It tasted good. I don't think I would. <laughs> it would maybe taste that good right now. Yeah. But back then, it it tasted good as well as those Long Island iced teas. How about the the first? I enjoyed that. The first, the first was always interesting. I I never really got into the first. I know there was a big following yep. around the first, but I respected that bar certainly. I was more like the outdoor bar type of guy, I would say, as opposed to like the basement or the downstairs, whatever you want to call it. I have some nostalgia for around this time of year is it's not there anymore. So people that, you know, we're not at Penn State during our day might not know it, but the sports cafe, yes. which is on the corner of college and Burroughs. I think it's a noodle shop now. Anyway, so we used to go there to watch the like the hockey playoffs, NHL playoffs. So we used to go there uh, on whatever Friday nights, whatever it was. And so with, anytime I see NHL playoffs, so I think back to the sports cafe. And you, we've had a few guests also talk about the Shandy Gaff. That's and, come and off, I think. That's right. Times. Yeah, yeah. Not to give it away, but yeah. Not to give it away. A future yeah. guest maybe talking yes. about the Shandy Gaff. And then I think also Bridget Lazda mentioned Shandy Gaff. She too. did. Yes, she did. Okay. The so Gaff. it seems to be a, a, a popular one. Shout out to the Gaff. Well, you can't find a bad bar in, in State College, right? That's no, one. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you get your different flavor, right? People like to go different spots. Some people like the G-Man. Some people like, or, well, wait, it's not, is G-Man still there? I don't I know. Even, I don't, I don't think it's so. I don't think so. Right, P- anyway, point of the story is people had their spots they used to go to that they liked. So maybe they like some more than others. It's all about what your flavor is. There was no champs back when we were there. That was, I think, a Chili's. I think we're champs. Is- oh, yeah. It's the one the Jonas Brothers like to go to, huh? Yeah, that is. Yeah. <laughs> Trendsetters. Yeah. So the big news, Jared, Beaver Stadium, fall 2021, 100% capacity. We are are back my friends yeah bring out your penn state gear from lions pride and uh, get your tickets get ready for some football in person in the fall and now we just need wisconsin to follow suit because we're going as well as a few other friends are going to the penn state wisconsin game we already have a house in madison so we just need the tickets yep and uh, kick off the the football season labor day weekend in wisconsin hopefully good weather definitely won't snow there but hopefully sunshine shorts weather yep and hopefully get to see our nittany lions off to a strong start in 2021 maybe we'll uh, bring our recording gear jared we'll take our show on the road as they say right lion <laughs> legacy it. goes to madison exactly we i'm sure we could find some Interesting alumni to to talk with. That yep. is for sure. Absolutely. Is. 
Speaking of interesting alumni, Jared, tell us about our guest this week. Yeah, Cedric Bryant, doctor. Bryant. Sorry, you're right, Doctor Cedric Bryant. He earned that PhD from Penn State, so we yes, need sir. to make sure we call him Doctor. Graduated what is now kinesiology. I graduated with a kines degree, so I have a great deal of appreciation for the schooling that he had to go through, and where he is today as uh, president and chief science officer of the American Council of Exercise. And everything that he's really influencing in terms of the fitness and health and wellness industry, quite impressive. Yeah. We think about everything exercise is a hot topic, right? You think about how people are exercising at home these days, right? Or during the pandemic, what's going on in gyms. So a lot, one of the big things that, that ACE, the American Council on Exercise that Dr. Brian works for, one of their big things is certifying all of the professional trainers out there, best practices on how trainers should be working with their clients. That's a big part of their efforts. Childhood obesity, how much exercise people should be getting, debunking some of the myths on exercise. I mean, the list goes on and on. And they're Ace is doing a lot of great work in all of those realms. He's just such an influential person, right? When you think about the policies and, and where this industry is not only going, but how it's impacting people like you and me to get off this podcast and maybe start exercising more, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one thing I keep saying as time goes on, right? I got to make sure I stick with that exercise routine. It's just so easy to fall off, but it's just so important for our health now in the future, right? Uh, longevity of lifespan. It's just super important in so many regards. They need to find a way where you could like work, do your work and exercise at the same time. I haven't figured that out yet. Like people have that. Right. You can get, you've heard of standing desks where people have a desk with a treadmill. There you go. Maybe I should get invested in one of those. Right. You could walk up and down your steps, Jared, as you <laughs> are on your Zoom calls. Huffing and puffing along the way. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that breathing heavily on this call? <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, Jared, lace up your shoes. We're going to go for a workout with Dr. Bryant. All right. Let's welcome Dr. Cedric Bryant, a two-time Penn State graduate. Dr. Bryant earned his master's degree in exercise science in 1984, and then followed up with a PhD in physiology in 1989. And if you were wondering where he did his undergrad, that was at Rutgers. So we're not going to ask you the question around who you root for when Penn State plays Rutgers. We'll hope that it is Penn State. Dr. Bryant is the president and chief science officer at the American Council of Exercise, commonly known as ACE. He has written more than 200 articles or columns in fitness trade magazines, as well as sports medicine and exercise science journals, and authored co-authored or edited 30 books based on all his contributions. It's no surprise that he was recently awarded the distinguished alumni award. Dr. Bryant, thanks for joining us on lion legacy. Hey, thanks for having me, Jared. Dr. Bryant, uh, great to speak with you and congratulations again on your prestigious award and all of the work, great work you've done. Jared mentioned that the American council of exercise, imagine when people hear of the organization, I'm sure that they can gather that it's fitness related, but they might not know much more than that. Help us understand what the council's mission is all about. Sure, Ross. And you're right. Because of our name, I think people tend to have a more narrow view of the organization and its mission, thinking it's singularly focused on physical activity or exercise. And our mission really is a simple one. It's to get people moving. And when we say get people moving, we're really thinking in a larger context of getting people moving toward adopting and maintaining healthier lifestyles. Because one of the things that we know is that if we can help individuals make 
good lifestyle choices that it can reduce their risk of many of the chronic conditions that are really uh, affecting so many of us in a negative fashion. And, and if anything we've learned in this pandemic is that individuals who lead poor lifestyles are at greater risk for all types of issues. And you think about folks who are suffering from hypertension, diabetes, and obesity, they're at the highest risk for having ill effects associated with the coronavirus. So it's really, I think, imperative from a public health perspective to get people to adopt and maintain healthier lifestyles. Love it. Now, normally when we speak with our guests, we always talk about the pandemic. And when I thought Mm -hmm. about the past year and a half, The fitness industry was certainly one that went through massive, massive changes. So many in-person gyms, group fitness activities were obviously shut down. Give us a little bit of insight about how the pandemic has actually impacted the industry. And you and ACE have supported many fitness and exercise professionals, many who were actually in the gyms or doing these group you know, fitness sessions. You're absolutely right, Jared, in that the uh, the pandemic with the closure of many of your fitness facilities had a tremendous impact on the professionals that we educate, certify, train, and serve. Because uh, as those facilities close, because they're a frequent employer of our certified professionals, individuals had to make a pivot. And, and that pivot really was toward learning how to smartly utilize technology as a way to continue to engage with and support and provide services to, to their clients. And so we offered a number of educational webinars and we did a virtual conference. We also did a lot of blogs and so forth, helping individuals learn how to make that transition from in-person training to virtual or remote training, because there are some nuanced differences. Like for example, with, with the group fitness instructors, it's one thing to cue people when you're in the same room But when you're remote and you're on a camera like many people are doing with Zoom and other technologies, there's some real nuanced differences in terms of how you properly cue people to make adjustments in their exercise form and technique. And so we went through a process of really trying to educate and prepare our professionals to be able to make that transition pretty seamlessly. And that transition, though, I imagine I've heard a lot of people who were employed And then all of a sudden we're entrepreneurs and doing this kind of self-starter business as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's absolutely true. And one of the other ways in which we try to support our professionals is to try to create partnerships where they could get access to portable exercise equipment options so that they could have their gym in a box, if you will. And so things like TRX uh, suspension trainers and, and different types of resistance bands, tubings, and so forth, that portable exercise equipment that would allow them to be able to train their clientele, whether it's their home or in a park. Because one of the things we know with the pandemic is that participating in physical activity outdoors was arguably one of the safer things that we could do during the pandemic. And thinking about my wife, for instance, goes to a smaller mm-hmm. fitness studio locally, mm-hmm. and the owners there did a phenomenal job at, you know, pivoting earlier on in the pandemic to virtual, which was something different mm-hmm. and something they had probably hadn't expected. And then as time went on, it was, hey, we're going to offer outdoor, right, in a mm-hmm. safe spot. And then it was, okay, hybrid, indoor, if you feel comfortable. And then it's just, a, I'm sure you, everyone that you work with is just constantly on a pivot based on what they can support in their own Mm -hmm. little, in their own business, as Mm -hmm. well as what is comfortable for their clientele. So it's just a little bit of an odd spot, but I I feel like those in the industry have taken to it pretty well. And Ross, it's funny, you mentioned the word hybrid, because I believe that's 
going to be here to stay and that there's going to always now be that option of being able to have that in-person training experience or taking advantage of technology and having that kind of remote digital training experience. And to me, it's really a positive unintended consequence of the pandemic in that it's really, I think, forced the industry to more quickly embrace the utilization of technology to be able to provide good quality exercise experiences. I, I want to go back a little bit. So pre-pandemic, I imagine mm-hmm. back to your childhood, imagine mm-hmm. you were someone who liked to exercise or at least stay active in, in some way as a kid. Was there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you really wanted to turn this into a career? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It was as many things in life. It was a, a not so pleasant experience in that I severed my ACL playing baseball and going through the rehab process just got me totally fascinated with understanding the human body and just from a training and rehabilitation perspective. And I was initially thinking that I would pursue the physical therapy route. And I don't want to offend physical therapists, but I I went through an, an internship and I found it to be relatively boring because it was the same old thing day after day. And so I looked for what else could I do with this passion that I have for learning and studying and understanding how the various systems of the body work. And that's what led me uh, on the pursuit of physiology and, and, and the application of it with regard to exercise. Sometimes those are the best internships when you discover that okay, <laughs> this isn't for me. Exactly. And we can cross yeah. this off the list. I like that journey. We have a a great partnership with the Daily Collegian. I'm sure you remember picking up uh, the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And students submit questions for our guests. And this week, our question comes from Amanda Boggio. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. A junior studying fashion merchandising. And Amanda wants to know, I'm sure there were many different jobs and organizations that you could work for. What inspired you to be president of ACE? Well, it's funny and, and full uh, <laughs> disclosure and transparency, it wasn't an, an aspiration that I had. My career has really been in thirds, if I look at it. The first third, I went the traditional kind of academic route where I got my PhD, taught and did research at university settings. Then the middle third, I transitioned from the university setting to the for-profit business world. And I was the head of research and development for uh, Stairmaster, the exercise equipment company. And now this kind of final third of my career, I transitioned to this nonprofit education, training, and certification organization called the American Council on Exercise. And the, the presidency wasn't something that, that I was aspiring to. It's just, I would say that my dad, um, he was the hardest working man that, that I've ever had the pleasure of of knowing or seeing. And he always just instilled in us is that if you're going to do something, do it well, because there's that's the only way to, to approach things. And so I think it's just a matter of adhering to that philosophy that created the opportunity for me to ascend to being the president of, of, of ACE. Absolutely. I think there's a lot, and I'm sure there's a lot that comes with the, the nonprofit side. I was almost going to ask you which one, which third did you enjoy the most, but I imagine your answer would be the current third. <laughs> it's funny. They all have, they, they all were really special experiences for me because I was really fortunate because I just, I love the, the college atmosphere because it, to me, it's so energizing and just love working with young minds. And then the middle third, it was really neat 
uh, because it was at a time when the Stairmaster was the hot product and, and we were doing a lot of innovative things and being in that kind of innovative business environment where you're really trying to solve problems and create, you know, business opportunities, I found to be pretty fascinating. And now in this nonprofit where you're really trying to do this really mission focused work to try to have a, a contribution to the improvement of public health for our nation is equally exciting. Excellent. So I'm going to shift a little bit as the president and chief science officer of ACE, it's only fitting to ask, tell us a little bit about your own personal exercise and fitness routine. Sure. I just, I love movement and my, I, I have a garage that looks like a little gym, a little studio because it's filled with a lot of exercise equipment that I was part of, you know, designing and creating during my tenure at Stairmaster. And so I will get up most mornings. I'm an early riser. I'll be in the gym, say 530-ish. And whether I'll do some cardio, whether it's a treadmill, step mill, we have a recumbent stepper, a kayak machine. I'll do some cardio for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then I'll do some functional resistance training. And the other thing that I will do is I'm, I got addicted to that silly game where you chase around that little white ball called golf. And <laughs> I, I will walk the, the golf course. And then there are some times where I will actually get the first tee time and I will jog the course. So I'll jog between shots. I have push cart jog between shots. And that is a terrific interval workout that if you are a golfer, you should try it at least once. <laughs> talking about speeding up play either people people <laughs> like playing with you or they don't like playing with well, you. i'm by myself that's why i get the first tee time but by the time others get on the course and they see me they look at me like i'm insane so i was about to say i've never seen anyone <laughs> run on the golf course yeah i, I guess a related question mm -hmm. so knowing what you know about all the studies that you've done mm -hmm. on fitness and exercise mm -hmm. and proper methods mm -hmm. and so forth best practices mm -hmm. when you when you i guess when you see somebody working out maybe you're out somewhere mm -hmm. if you're at a park let's say mm -hmm. and you see somebody do you in your mind are you like critiquing them and you're saying oh they shouldn't be doing this way or do you, do you ever do that Ross, you, you, you must be a mind reader because <laughs> it's funny because I travel so much. I, I'll oftentimes I'll be working in, you know, hotel gyms and I will see people doing things that could, where they could be putting themselves at risk. And I, I'm trying to think, okay, how do I, but I, most times I will approach the person and just try in a friendly, polite manner, offer some suggestions on how you might be able to do something a little bit more safely. Because it is hard for me to watch someone doing something improperly that might put themselves at risk and not say something. When you're the president of ACE, you, you come with a lot of credibility. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that that helps, certainly. A bit of a serious topic. And mm -hmm. if our numbers are accurate, I believe about 20% of children and adolescents in the U.S. are obese. I, I hope that number is not higher. I know there are probably a lot of contributing factors, but in your opinion, what are some of the ways we can get that number down other than just simply exercise, right? Or better eating? Mm -hmm. Like how yes. do we truly make the change? I, I think one of the things is really starting at the earliest ages of helping our kids to to become what I'd call physically literate. And there's an organization called the, the National Association of Physical Literacy that I'm on their scientific advisory board. And basically what the concept of physical literacy is that if we can get kids early to 
develop the ability, the confidence and desire to move and be active, that we set them on a course where they're more likely to do that over the span of their lives. Of their lives. And what physical literacy is, is it's just the old reading is fundamental. They're, they're basic core things that you need to be able to do. And so things that we took for granted in years past where kids were, were jumping, climbing, moving, doing all those things. And, and that isn't the norm now. And so really being able to help kids to develop those fundamental movement skills of, of jumping, running, hopping, throwing, skipping, all those things that just happen naturally. Now we have to be more intentional about those because the research is pretty clear that if you can give kids that kind of good motor vocabulary, if you will, and, and give them that good foundation of literacy, that they're, they'll become more comfortable with movement. Because one of the reasons why a lot of people don't move is because they don't feel confident. And none of us want to feel like we're going to be looking like we're incapable and, and feeling foolish, if you will. And that that's one area I think is important. And the other thing that is important is being able to provide programs that are easily accessed by kids and parents. And there's a great program called uh, Building on Kids Success, where they go in and they do programs, brief physical activity programs before the start of school. And they intentionally go into areas where kids have less access to physical activity experiences in, in, in underserved populations. And the results have been phenomenal in, in, in terms of impacting not only the kids, but also having that kind of trickle over into the parents. And so I think programs like that are what excite me about being able to reverse that disturbing trend. Have we seen the number of, I guess that number I mentioned, 20%, mm -hmm. has that gone up with the pandemic, just knowing that so many that, that, doors? That is the fear and suspicion is that we're going to see a rise in those numbers. Yes. Uh, are you of the general mindset that as far as kids go, that like any physical activity is good physical activity, right? No matter what you're doing, it could be an organized sport. It could be running around with your friends in the neighborhood. Just want to get your thoughts there. Ross, you're an exercise scientist and you don't even realize it. No, <laughs> I feel like it's just common sense, right? <laughs> it is. It really is because any movement is good. And, and that's the thing that I think we have to help people to realize is that some movement is good and, and more movement is better, but you got to look at it. I, I tell people like it's loose change in your pocket. At the end of the day, it adds up to real money if you accumulate enough of it. So if you can just, like you said, run around with your friends, if you're playing in, in sport, if you're doing some uh, chores around the house, all that stuff adds up and contributes to, to a, a better health profile. Absolutely. We're going to go back to your work with ACE real quick. We saw on the on the council's website, they were talking about moving lives, moving professions, and moving policies. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on the latter there. Can you speak to some of the recent policy changes and also that, that the council has helped to enact and also what you're hoping to change in the future from a legislative perspective? Sure. What we do in terms of advocating with regard to policy is we really try trying to be that voice that that advocates for making physical activity the the easy accessible choice for more Americans. And so some of the things that that we've worked on it, it trying to help to encourage that exercise professionals and health coaches become part of what I'd call the healthcare team. When I think about optimal healthcare, I guess because of my love of sport and athletics, is I think of it as the ultimate team sport. 
in that it requires many different types, many different positions that need to be played. And one of those positions are people who have good training and expertise in delivering physical activity and exercise programs. And so one of the things we've been advocating for is that healthcare would be more intentional about asking people about their physical activity status. And once they determine what that physical activity status, much if we determine that you had elevated blood pressure or you had some type of uh, nutritional deficiency, they would make an appropriate referral. And the same thing is true with individuals who report that they get little or no physical activity is to be able to, rather than just say you should walk more, why not refer them to someone who can actually develop an engaging, interesting exercise program for them. So we've been advocating for that type of change. The other thing that we've been working on recently is an initiative called Moving Together Outside. And what the intent there is to try to encourage local communities to work in partnership with well-qualified exercise professionals to be able to deliver activity experiences in parks, in schools when they're not in use. It's a shared use concept so that we can maximize the resources that we already have. And and so those are are probably two that kind of come to mind readily. I love the team approach as well. And quite honestly, I've always had respect. I'm a kinesiology Mm -hmm. graduate as well from Penn State, and I've always had respect for Uh, those who are helping to keep others moving and studying that Mm -hmm. movement. But I think you're right. It's not always seen as this holistic team as you're talking about. So I think that approach is something that we'd love to see more of and get more people to change their minds as well as the policy. So continued success with that, certainly. Thank you. I know our listeners can't see you since this is an audio podcast, (laughs) but that's a good thing for them. Just, just to describe who we're talking with today. You are a black man in a very prominent and prestigious position in the exercise and fitness industry. From your perspective, how do we get more diversity in this industry? That's a great question. I would say really two things, intentionality and commitment. And and I'll elaborate. I think there has to be intentionality with regard to your hiring practices, to training of staff, to what your leadership looks like, making sure that there's representation of people of color at all levels. Because one of the things that is just natural is that we tend to think about individuals who are in close proximity to us when it comes to job openings, promotion opportunities. And I think it's going to require kind of leadership and, and influence just to really give some thought about being intentional about making sure that the candidate pool has diverse representation. And and if you're not intentional about it and you're not committed to it, it's easy just to keep things as they are. The other thing too is that I think it's important that we don't shy away from having those kind of courageous conversations that need to occur when we're talking about a topic that can be as emotionally charged as a diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, but I think those conversations must be had. And I think people need to think about playing the role of that kind of advocate who is going to speak on behalf of individuals who for a long time have been underrepresented, unfortunately. 
Excellent. We've covered a lot so far here, uh, Dr. Bryant. Beyond what we've spoken about, what other takeaways do you want our listeners to come away with today as far as the work that you and, and your team at ACER are working on? I think the approach that we take as an organization is we try to focus on kind of consistent progress as opposed to what I would say occasional perfection. Because I think Oftentimes, people's pursuit of doing just having all your ducks in a row and that it's perfectly laid out, I think, impedes progress. It, it impedes any type of action. And it's through action that we make change. And, and a, a good friend of mine, he has a, a phrase that I really like where he says, ordinary things done well daily produce extraordinary results. And that's really what I've seen on a personal level on a professional level, and also on an organizational level as far as the American Council on Exercise goes. Rome, wa- Rome wasn't built in a day. That's right. So we're actually going to shift gears now again and put you in the lion's den, which is brought to you <laughs> by our friends at Lions Pride and reminisce, no surprise, about your time at Penn State. And just remember, when you want to show off your Penn State pride, visit lions-pride.com for the latest and greatest apparel and merchandise. So we've really enjoyed hearing about your impressive career, Dr. Bryant. Tell us about how Penn State has prepared you for all these professional endeavors that you've embarked upon. You know, my time at Penn State really served as a essential foundation for much of what I've been able to enjoy in terms of success from a professional standpoint. And that I think the biggest thing that I would say that I gained from Penn State is how to think thoroughly <laughs> and how to be a problem solver. And I, when I think about it earlier, I talked about my career being in, in uh, thirds. Each third, my problem solving abilities is what was critical to my success as well as any type of growth that I had in those positions. Because any organization is going to have problems and individuals who can really kind of identify what the core issues are related to that problem and then come up with creative solutions to those problems is going to be valuable. And, and I would say that that's probably the greatest gift that that my Penn State uh, experience offered me. And I also was fortunate that I had some terrific mentors who, who really challenged me to don't settle. And I think that was also critical. Great. Toughest question of the entire podcast. Favorite Uh-oh. Penn State memory? Well, you know, I would imagine for most people, because there are so many wonderful me- memories that are associated with Penn State, that's a tough question. But for me, it's actually not. Because uh, Penn State is where I met my wife of 35 plus years at a grad social at uh, Kern Building. And so that that is, uh, bar none, the fondest memory that I have. Great. Now you got to tell us a little bit about your wife, what she's doing, because she's a Penn Stater too, so she yes. loved it. Well, my wife, she was uh, getting her master's in speech-language pathology, and she practiced as a speech-language pathologist for the first several years of her marriage, and by the time we had our second of our four boys, she became a full-time mom, but she still uh, bleeds blue and white. 
I love it. And she will be very happy with that answer, I'm sure. Too. <laughs> Whenever anybody says that, as that is the right answer. Well done. Jared mentioned in the intro that you went to Rutgers for your undergrad. Mm -hmm. uh, but what are one of the questions in the lines then that we typically ask still applies. Okay. If you could visit with Cedric as an 18-year-old freshman, what advice would you give yourself? I guess I would say don't be afraid to take risks. And the reason why I say that is that oftentimes those things that we view as being these big risks and, and we think of all the reasons why we shouldn't do something, it's been my experience. I've never taken a risk where I've looked back and I've regretted it. But I think the things that you more than likely regret are those things where you wonder what if I had ventured out and, and done X, Y, Z. And I think living with any type of regret probably is, is one of the worst positions to be in. And I think the reason why people don't take risk is that I think we have a warped sense of and fear of, quote unquote, failing. And it's been my experience that those mistakes or failures really are opportunities for learning and growth. And I think if you can adopt that mindset then I think you'll be more likely to take those necessary risks that I think create the real opportunities. That's some great advice there. I love it. Along the advice lines, when you find out someone is considering Penn State, I know you're in Seattle <laughs> these days, but if someone says, hey, I want to go from a rainy, a rainy city to another kind of rainy, cloudy city as well or town, what do you tell them other than the weather's probably going to be pretty similar uh, in terms of gray skies? Why should they go to Penn State? I would say that, first of all, you're going to have an absolutely wonderful experience, I think, because you're going to have strong academics. You're going to have great athletics and other extracurricular activities that are going to be readily available to you. You're going to be in a terrific community with great people. And there's a reason why they refer to it as Happy Valley, because <laughs> it's just a wonderful place, I think, to spend four plus years. Absolutely. And then how do you feel most connected to the university these days? Well, there are a couple things. One of the things, our, our organization, we fund uh, a number of application-oriented research studies looking at various exercise science topics and physical activity intervention topics. And we've partnered with Penn State on, on a number of those projects over the years. We also have a scientific advisory panel and, and one of the faculty members at the Null Human Performance Lab is one of our, one of our scientific advisory panel members, uh, Larry Kenny. He and I were in grad school together. And the other thing is that I also serve on the Department of Kinesiology's Industry Advisory Panel. So we are quite connected with, with the university. That's fantastic. I love that true integration that you've got going on between <laughs> all the great work that you're doing and Penn State. Thanks. Really want to thank you for coming on. We knew that this was going to be very insightful and enlightening just from the fact that you are a distinguished alum and you will receive that prestigious award. So congrats again there. And when I think about it, and you mentioned it before, You've always been this problem solver, it seems, and have always really focused on the impact, whether it be at the academic level, at a company like Stairmaster, and I imagine this was late 90s, mm -hmm. and the impact that they had on the industry, and then right now on a national scale and influencing policies, getting people to move more. And quite honestly, that's, a, that's an amazing accomplishment and an amazing career journey. And we thank you for all your contributions as well to society because 
your impact is going to be felt many more years down the road. So thanks for joining us on Lion Legacy. And we always end with, we are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruder production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.